A journalist once wrote that, I think when God wants to play a really rotten, practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. What is your initial thought when you read that? When you hear that? Reading those words, what does it mean to you? God, playing a practical joke, is going to give you what you want most. Well, to me, the punchline comes down to whatever our deepest wish in life may actually be. So friends here tonight, allow me to ask, what is your deepest wish? What is your deepest longing? And I'm not talking, I was thinking, I'm not thinking just about simple childhood wishes. I remember I had many. My number one childhood wish was I would wake up in the morning and I would have Wolverine X-Men claws. And that was a guarantee. I would go to bed praying, God, I better be a mutant in the morning. And I would get up every morning ah, and nothing. That was my childhood wish. So not immature wishes. Wolverine claws are not immature, but you know what I'm getting at. What is our deepest wish and longing and desire right now? The kind that we seek prayer for, the kind that we have sacrificed for, maybe the kind we've gone to school for, the kind that we've paid giant sums of money for, and any wish ranging from peace to pregnancy, from marriage to money. I think if we were to take those very, uh, those very real wishes and longings to Christ himself and drop them at his feet and say this, this Jesus, this is what I want. Even make a case for him, this. You know what I think Christ, the sum of what Christ would say to those very wishes. I think he would look at him and I believe Christ would say, that's it. That's it? That's it? There's an old tale years ago, true or not, I have no idea, about a former pro golfer, golfer Arnold Palmer. Everybody had the drink? It's delightful. <laughs> How Palmer played a series of expo uh, exhibition matches in Saudi Arabia. And the king at that time was so impressed with his golfing skills and abilities that he wanted to give Palmer a gift. He wanted to give him a gift. And Palmer's like, no, 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 it's not necessary. Playing in your country, being invited here is a gift enough, king. The king insisted. So Palmer thought for a moment. He's like, okay, I, I'll, I'll take a, a golf club. That would be a nice, useful memento of my time here. The king's like, oh, okay. The following day, delivered to Palmer's hotel, was a title to a golf club. Hundreds of acres, trees, lakes, clubhouse, and the like. This was a that's it moment for the king of Saudi Arabia as he listen, listens to the wish of Palmer. See, the moral of the story is in the presence of a king, do not ask for small gifts. In the presence of a king, don't forget who you are talking to. It's a warning not to be small-minded with God. Now, before we go too far, just so it's said for public record, what I'm not pushing right now is prosperity gospel, where anybody could leave right now and go, Casey wants us to be gazillionaires. That's not what I'm pushing right now. Far from it. 
What I'm trying to stir within us tonight is for us to discover that in the process of dealing with what for so many can be a deep longing, can be a deep longing, Jesus wants us to set our aim upon something greater, something more, something brighter. See, it's a golf club rather than a a golf club. Now, tonight, we read two small stories from the Bible. This is considered a double miracle story. And each of them confront disease and death. And if we were to like, label these verses, I think we could easily put some brown masking tape on them and with permanent ink write, big wishes or accounts of deepest longing. See, tonight's verses aren't ones that tell us of a, you know, a really great sermon that Peter preached. They're not about community, do's and don'ts, or generosity, but they're a bit more seismic. They're a bit more supernatural. See, essentially, no one walks away the same way they came in in tonight's verses. And if you'd permit me, I'd like to concentrate on one, just very general concept tonight, that being healing. I want to talk tonight about healing. See, healing being something we all at one point or another have or currently or definitely will again wish for. Perhaps tonight, Christian or not, you are here in search of healing. You are here and you want healing, either physical or emotional or healing from the past or even spiritual healing. I would say we are a group of people, just so you know, who want to hear from you. Please do not leave tonight without somebody praying for you, talking with you, supporting you. Seek us out if you need something. But for those who have truly suffered here, if you've gone through some sort of suffering, some sort of ailment or sickness, or sick, uh, sickness excuse me, do you, um, do you remember that feeling, that emotion, the, the exhausting, just basically tiresome lying in bed all day? The nausea from the medication, the late night tears, the hopelessness. Keep that same frame of mind as we quickly reread verses 32. Look at verse 32 one more time. Now as Peter went from here and there among them all, he came down, also the saints who lived at Lydda. So Peter's out and about visiting Christians and churches because persecution has basically subsided for now. Verse 33, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed lying in bed hopelessness late night tears now we have no idea why this man was paralyzed right we have no idea if he has a family we have no idea what his favorite color was we have no idea what level of pokemon go he was blue red or yellow team we have no idea but i bet each of you right now each of you could guess what his deepest wish was. Every single person in this room knows exactly what Aeneas' deepest wish was. That would be for a healing. Aeneas wants to be healed. He wants his life back. He wants to walk, and he wants to run, and he wants to leap, right? Now, to us, as we read this and think, this is a shame. We read these verses and go, this is a bummer. This is a shame that he is physically distraught and he is unable. But hear me, even that is a limited understanding to us as modern Western peeps. You see, we have separated sickness, disease, unhealth, and crippling from person 
and body. Essentially for us, if one is sick, it's purely, it's under the skin. It's the bones and tissue. It's a conflict of the blood. But in the context of the Bible, the people told of these pages thought of ailment way more holistically. For them, the source of sickness lied not just in the body, but if they were sick in any way, their entire environment around them was out of whack. Sick in any way, out of whack. So for Aeneas, this just wasn't something bodily. This was far more disruptive. His entire existence is out of whack. Social, physical, relational, financial, religious, and spiritual stigmas and brokenness. And he had eight years of it. Eight years of it. See, for me, I can't go eight minutes without a breakdown. And he goes eight years of desiring, wishing, and longing, and yearning for holistic change. And then one day, he hears a knock on the door, and an apostle... A disciple of Jesus darkens his doorstep. Now, I don't know what you know of the Bible or what you know of even Peter, this apostle, this disciple, but just basically know he's not a shaman. He's not a magician. He's certainly not a physician or a surgeon. I doubt he's ever Googled, you know, WebMD or watched ER or Grey's Anatomy. I mean, he has no idea what he's doing medically. And yet he is the one who... Knocks. And Peter turns to Aeneas and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise. Now I'll confess that the first time I read this, part of me couldn't help but feel insulted for Aeneas. I feel as if there was no more bitter word to Aeneas's ears than rise. How many times in his life have men and women shouted at Aeneas, rise, move, get up. And then again, we hear Peter speak the very word. And my initial gut to Peter is like, don't you think he wants to? My initial gut is, don't you think he's tried, Peter? Peter, don't you think you're the millionth person who said to Aeneas, get up and rise? Haven't we been in those situations before where we're, talking to a loved one or a friend or a parent or whoever, and we're telling them of our vices and our infirmities, and their advice is just to do the opposite, as if we had not thought of that before. I love the advice that we get when it's just, well, stop it. (laughs) Like, really, just stop it. Or leave them. Or don't think that way. It drives me bonkers. Just thinking that emotion, that almost annoyance, is quite minor than telling a bedridden man, a paralyzed man of eight years, rise. But if we look at the verse again, Jesus Christ heals you and rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. That's quite a moment. He stretched out his ankle, he curled his toes, he bent his knees, and he got up. Every other time he has tried to help himself or heal himself, he has failed. So then why is this time outrageously and wonderfully different? 
Why? Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. It's different because of Jesus. I know that's not much of a reveal. <laughs> All of us saw that coming a mile away. Some of you here are not even Christian. You're like, yeah, every Bible, you know, Bible Sunday school answer is always Jesus, right? How many animals on the ark? Jesus. But Peter, <laughs> but Peter speaks the name of Jesus. Peter heals in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus heals. Now, my fear right now would be that you would hear this formulaically, like as a method. So, like, basically, the thought process, if you hear this and then you kind of run off to the hospital and you start shouting, Jesus Christ heals you, and everybody gets saved. Like, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. We must resist the tendency to replace divine mystery with human formulas. See, the truth is none of us know why or why not when it comes to somebody's healing, like Aeneas, or even our own healing why God does or why God does not choose to heal. It's ultimately subject to his own wisdom and sovereign purposes as God, creator God. It's often beyond our capacity to understand. Again, just thinking, we spoke about this a few, however many weeks ago in our suffering series, if you want to hear more about it. But for now, what does Peter's pithy and punchy and powerful words, just those four words, have to do with us right now here on the West Side? What significance what application for us right now to hear the words, Jesus Christ heals you? Well, first, when it comes to Peter's healing in the name of Jesus, just as Peter, Peter has done with ease and suddenness, one must have faith and affirm that Jesus must be able. To approach this healing, for, for this to happen, Jesus must be able. See, we only go to physicians who are able the guy with the tinfoil hat who wants to help our body problems behind a Papa John's is not able. <laughs> Nobody's going to go to him for medical advice. We don't have the faith that he is able. But Peter knows just how able Jesus is. Peter is merely representative of the very able and powerful Christ. Peter's not healing in his own name, but think about it. I mean, isn't that true for so, so many of us? to believe in our own ability rather than Christ, to run before we pray or to rebuke before hearing or to do in the flesh what was begun in the spirit. See, Peter knows, Peter knows for anything to happen, it's not done in man's name, but in Christ. And please, did you notice this? Notice this but Peter, in very much like Jesus fashion, doesn't ask for the sickness to get out of there. Peter isn't pleading with the infirmity. Peter doesn't bargain with this crippling. And like Christ, Peter does not even pray for the healing. Peter commands us. That's some immense faith. Peter just commands. Jesus Christ heals you. Rise. This is very much like Christ. Jesus over and over again, just demanded the inflictions to cease. Over and over again. Think about this. With the dead, he commanded to rise. With the paralyzed, he commanded to get up. With the man with the crippled hand, he commanded to stretch it out. With the ears of the deaf, he commanded them to be opened. 
And with the lepers, he commanded them to be cleansed. And Peter saw this over and over and time after time. Peter knowing if Jesus stopped it or extracted it or healed it, that means that Jesus is not only just able, but Jesus is also against it. Jesus is against it. Jesus is against any affirmities you've had, currently have, or will ever, ever have. See, the Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world with disease, hunger, crippling, and death to reside in it. That all came later when man decided we no longer want God. So then with healing and miracles, New York pastor Tim Keller has truly said it the best when it comes to understanding this, and I quote, We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he is going to do with that power. That's an epic quote. Basically, God is not pro your pain. God is not pro your, bo- your, your brokenness, your disease, or your cancer. Anybody's cancer. God is not neutral with it. God is not indifferent, indifferent with our infliction. Jesus is restoring things the way they ought to be, not avoiding it. The Lord is ferociously against any and all infirmity. Peter knows this. Aeneas now knows this. Do we know this? Do you believe this? See, when you're sick, or if you've been bedridden, or if we've had loved ones who are sick and bedridden, or in chronic pain, allow me to ask, what are your thoughts towards God? Are they of his ableness? Are they, are they thoughts of how much God is against this? Or are we tempted to get angry? Are we tempted to reject or to curse God? I want us to see this last point and how beautifully illustrated it is by the second story out of these verses. And see, it's that Jesus must be alive. See, Jesus is able and Jesus is against and Jesus is alive, not dead, but has dropped, kicked death in the teeth. Look at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So just fun little side note, if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, if, if, you know where, if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah bought a boat ticket in Joppa to try to run out, outrun God. So Joppa is a coastal city and apparently filled with giant freaky fish. Verse 37. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. 
This has been called by historians and commentators one of the most astounding miracles in all of Acts. See, only a a handful of people in the Bible were resurrected from the dead. Tabitha is one of them. And this is the first resurrection miracle in Acts. This is the only time Peter raises somebody from the the dead. And this is the only time we see somebody praying before a miracle in the New Testament. Possibly because Peter was freaking out and unbelievably nervous. All that to say your resurrection occurs and this wasn't some hoax. If you're here and you doubt this was not some hoax, Tabitha was dead, dead, dead. So they had washed and prepared her body for burial. Tabitha was dead. Her loved ones are weeping profusely, so much so that Peter has to kick them out of the room. Look at that. And the widow stood beside him and weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made with them. Also just noticed, just really quickly here, Tabitha was apparently a knitter, which is awesome. Jenny, if you're in here and you knit, that's for you. They're basically, what I love about this, what I love is they're basically resurrect her. Look at all the stuff she's made. That's what they're doing. Look at this. She's made these things. Bring her back to life. We want a coat. Like that's... (laughs) Now, much like Aeneas, we don't know pretty much anything about these loved ones or Tabitha at all. But I bet you again, each one of you could guess in that moment the deep wishes of Tabitha's loved ones. Right? It's healing again. It's healing it's death to life. Bring her back. For Tabitha, particularly, it's healing unto life. Now, if we were to stop there and go healing unto life, yes! That's a great, great wish. That's a great deep wish. And compare that with the quote we had earlier from the journalist. What would she say to them? What would the journalist quote that God really wants to play a rotten joke on you and give you your deepest wish? Where's the rotten joke here that health is good and life is good? Where's the rotten joke? Well, collective church, here's the joke. Here's the punchline. The joke would be that God would grant every longing wish we've ever had. We've ever had to just prove to us how what we desire is not deep enough, not big enough, not high enough, because there's no way that any of those things will fulfill what we're so wildly hoping they'll fill. It's that great, you guys have probably heard it a million times, but that incredible, and this is probably the only person you can really say this among a few others, but that Jim Carrey quote. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Now, Christians and those here who are curious or who think about the Christian faith, this is important. Following Jesus is not a purging of all of our plans and hopes, longings, and desires. Now, please hear me. For some, it may need to be. But it's not having ambition that is the problem. It's not having a deep desire and deep wish that is the problem. For those in here who want to make films or own companies or marry somebody, or for those who want to mother and father, for those here who want to build and create and travel and play and work and run and pursue and love, those things are not the problem. The problem lies in viewing those things as our hope, 
The problem lies in viewing those things as a Messiah that once we attain, we'll now be okay. Once I get it, I'll now be fine. I'll be saved or set. That is the problem. That is the problem. That's where Jesus stops and looks at those wishes and longings and says, that's it? That's it? Even healing, which is the peak of our wish and longings, can't compare. I mean, health is number one, right? Health is number one. We sacrifice any amount of money or things we have for health. It's not only our own health, but the health of our loved ones. Those are our deepest thickest wants in life is good health. And even Jesus then would want us to know that temporal healing falls a distant second to eternal healing. See, if you're here and you do not trust Christ with your life, or if you've chosen to not follow Jesus, friends, please hear me. Because I've been there, and many, many, many other people in this room have. You will exhaust yourself by constantly seeking to feed a hunger and to quench a thirst with longings that cannot satisfy. I was thinking it's, it's like drowning and merely asking for a life vest. The lifeguard would say, that's it. Jesus has come to rip us out of the waves. It's like being in a house fire and merely asking for a cup of cold water. The fireman would say, that's it? Jesus has come to tear us from the broken, flaming house. Jesus never healed anybody just for the sake of a physical healing. Jesus healed so that the person, the whole person, may be well. He wants you and I healed in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally. Yes, yes, yes. But more than anything, relationally healed between us and God the Father. If you're healthy tonight, if you're healthy tonight in every way, but not relationally with God Almighty, then dare I say you are more ill than you could ever imagine. In Lewis's, um, I'm quoting Keller and Lewis. This is a Christian sermon. Boy, I tell you what. Lord, forgive me. In Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, I love this story. Where there's a young boy named Eustace, and his life is garbage. His life is garbage. No friends, nobody likes him, nobody loves him. And one day he finds himself on this boat, which leads to like this island cave. And on this island, he finds the fulfillment of all he has ever, ever wanted. He shows up and it's just mounds and mounds of gold, treasure and rubies. And Eustace is pumped. He is stoked out of his mind. I can get revenge. I will show these people how I am better. I can do whatever I want. I can finally be happy. And Eustace and his euphoria and just this delight. He passes out and he falls asleep on the gold. He wakes in the morning to have discovered that he has been transformed into a dragon. His wicked thoughts in this magic lair has made him into a huge, ugly, terrible, and now very lonely 
dragon. So as Eustace is imprisoned basically with his gold on this island, uh, Aslan, the lion, Aslan, the, the savior comes. And you know what he tells Eustace? I can heal you. He goes, no, I can heal you. You're stuck in this dragon body. I can heal you. And he tells him, take off your skin. He goes, undragon yourself. Eustace pulls and tears at his skin, but it's no use. It's too deep. And so Aslan says, no, 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 no. I'm going to be the one who has to do it. I have to physically do it. So Aslan rips and he claws at the dragon. This line is just ripping to shreds and tearing until finally, and I'll have Eustace tell us the rest. Then he caught a hold of me and threw me into the water. I smarted like anything, but only for a moment. Then I saw I turned into a boy again. Friends, we do not need somebody to merely grant our wishes for gain or even health. We need more than a miracle worker, more than a magician. We need somebody greater than a physician or even a healer. We need more than stability. We need more than some great reputation. We need somebody more than a husband or a wife or children. We need a defeater of death, cure of disease and sin. We need a savior, a rescuer, a hero. We need a lion to claw away all of our sin and all of our self-righteousness and all of our misplaced hope and all of these different wishes then we will come to see and know that Jesus will not just have granted our deepest wishes, but he has fulfilled them, fulfilled them with himself. The healings and miracles exist to thrust us towards the one who empowers them. They exist to thrust them on the one who empowers us. Did you notice that? Look at verse 35. And all residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 34, or excuse me, 42, excuse me. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. They didn't start the church of Peter. They didn't see all this go down and start passing out I'm with Peter t-shirts or start worshiping miracles. Yes, these miracles challenged the minds of the people then like they do now with us. But more than anything, more than anything, friends, then and now, those healings and those miracles are promises to our hearts Not that there's just something greater, but that there is someone greater. Amen? Let's pray.